Well, it is good to be back. We are in Matthew in chapter 9. And like Zach was saying, we'll show a lot of photos and go through the whole trip and what we are doing and the Lord using us to support down there in Peru and other areas down there on Wednesday. So we're looking forward to that. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to jump right back into chapter 9 of the book of Matthew. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy as we're praying. We do want you to empower the teaching of your word. We want you to move through us, that we would grow in you, Lord. We thank you that you use where we're at right now, where we're at in your scripture, and we pray that we would apply the things that are happening in our lives to your word as you apply these words to us. We want to be more like you. We want to be used by you, Lord, and we want to magnify you in our lives. And so let your will be accomplished this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know it's been a little while since we've gathered together, at least since I've been here, but I want to remind us that in the Gospel of Matthew, previously we have seen Jesus have power over the human body through healing. He has been healing everyone. We've also seen a few weeks ago that he has power over all creation. He has all authority. He is making everything happen because he is the Messiah, the express image of the Father. In this portion of the gospel, we have left the Sermon of the Mount, and now we have begun to talk about discipleship and being a disciple, and the Lord's teaching us these things. But he's showing us as he's building these blocks who he really is and what that means for us as followers of Jesus. But we're going to see in this portion of Scripture that as usual, we have things backwards and what things really matter and the things that are the real priority. And then hopefully we're going to dissect that together. We're going to look at it together and understand what that means and how he's teaching us. So let's read verses 1 through 3 and pick up our story. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemed. And so this seems very mundane. That's a word for simple, just average, just regular. This is the equivalent of us just jumping into a car, going to a friend's house and talking to them. And they have a person there that's sick or going through a situation that you really, in our terms, we can't do anything about. It's an everyday occurrence. And yet the Lord is going to show us that the simple things really matter. He is the king of kings. He's in absolute control of all things at all times. But he looks at this paralytic man, this man that cannot heal himself. There is no MRI, no CAT scan. There's no medicine in the same way that we would think of. He's not going down to the emergency room. There's no hope for him. He's not going to be able to get up and walk aside from divine intervention. And here he is, and he knows that Jesus, this man, has been healing everyone all over the place they're bringing to him, people with all kinds of afflictions, and he's healing all of them. Remember, in this portion of Scripture, the crowds are following him for that very reason. And Jesus shows up to him, and what does he say? Something so simple, so easy, but I assume it's not what he wants to hear. Son, your sins are forgiven you. The interesting thing is that we do the same thing in so many situations, but for different reasons. The reason for us is we don't have the power to do anything. How many times have you in your own life had some sickness, some illness, some issue 
that you can't fix, and you want God to fix it, but he doesn't fix it. And maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you feel like he's not listening. Maybe you feel like he doesn't care. Or, what's very difficult, somebody in your family, someone in your life, a friend, a coworker, somebody close to you, they ask for healing, they ask for you to pray for them, and you pray for them, and nothing happens. Or they have an issue, and you want to share the gospel with them. You want to tell them that they can be saved and know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But they're thinking maybe in their own heart, I don't want that. I just want you to fix my problem. The Bible tells us that as disciples, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we are to be like Jesus, to have his perspective, to act like he acts, to walk like he walks, to talk like he talks. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And so we're to be like the Lord. The first thing we see is that Jesus is available. He is there. They bring the paralytic man to him. And he doesn't heal him, though. He simply says, your sins are forgiven. That's not, I assume, what he wants to hear. The scripture doesn't say. But second, is there disappointment there? Is the guy thinking to himself, well, that's not why I'm here. That's, that's really nice, but hey, do you mind? Could you fix me, please? And then third what we see is immediate opposition. The Pharisees in their hearts are saying, this guy's a blasphemer. Now, to be understood clearly, to be a blasphemer in that society, the punishment is death. They're supposed to pick up rocks and start stoning him. They want to remove him entirely. And again, I want to emphasize the simplicity of this. Jesus just shows up and says something. That's it. A small conversation on the side. They're not in the temple. They're not in the synagogue. He doesn't have robes on. He doesn't have a grand entrance. He just jumped in his boat, went to his hometown, has a conversation. Simple things that you and I as Christians do all the time. But I want us to fully understand that Jesus is in absolute control and authority everywhere he goes regardless of his answer. It's not that Jesus is powerless to heal him. It is that he is doing the greater thing. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 14, 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. The scripture also tells us that the Lord sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. He's not limited. It's not that he can't do things. It's that he doesn't want to. Or sometimes the answer is no, or not yet, or wait, or maybe later, or I'm going to do something different. It's just not the answer that we like. When we get placed into situations like this, when we're in front of someone that wants a different solution from God, unfortunately, many of us may have the Pharisee's heart or a different heart that wants to defend the Lord. Maybe you feel doubt, you question yourself, or you wonder why the answer is no or not yet or why he's not doing something. And we feel like maybe we're being neglected, and if we want to be true to ourselves, we may even doubt him in those darker times. But the Lord doesn't have this issue because he knows what he's going to do next. He knows that he's going to use this situation, and he knows that he is doing something that is far, far greater. In fact, Jesus is going to tell us that now in verses 4 through 8, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here. 
He says, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Well, it's revealed here that the Pharisees didn't even say it, did they? They thought it in their hearts. Jesus, this man's a blasphemer. Now, Bible scholars take one of two different positions. One is that Jesus was just very intuitive and he saw that they were thinking this, like on that way they were acting. I take the second approach because the Bible says he knew people as they were known, that Jesus literally can see and hear thoughts. Like he knows what they're thinking, literally knows what they're thinking. I am, I am more in that camp. And here these Pharisees are thinking in their hearts that Jesus is a blasphemer. Let's, let's be clear though, in their defense, if Jesus is not who he says he is, he is a blasphemer. The issue is he is who he says he is. He is the Messiah, the express image of the Father. He does whatever he pleases in submission to the Father's will. Now, Jesus proves that he is who he says he is. How does he do it? By physically healing the paralytic. He says, get up. Now, I assume this is what the paralytic wanted all along. That's what his friends wanted who brought him to him. How long has he been this way? How did he feel? What was he looking for? We have no idea. But Jesus shows us something that is so important to all of us, that the healing is secondary. It's not as important. You see, what happened to this paralytic man after this? Well, we don't know. Maybe he got hit by a Roman cart crossing the street. Maybe he got sick later. Maybe he got the plague. Maybe he got executed. Maybe he lived to a ripe old age. But then what happened? He died. Lazarus was raised from the dead. And guess what happened after that? He lived and he died. Every person that Jesus healed throughout all of his travels, they got sick again, they got hurt again, other things happened to them, and then eventually they died. But when Jesus told the paralytic man, son, your sins are forgiven you, he did something far, far greater. He is the express image of the Father. And God descended from heaven, became a man, stood in front of him and said, son, no longer separation, no longer separated from God, no longer headed to the eternal pit of fire for hell in eternity. He was reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Who can do anything about sins? Who can pardon sins? Who can pay our spiritual debt? Who can wash away the stain of the things that we have done? Who can change the soul? We can't even see it. Do you know that doctors over uh, time have done tests on bodies of people as they died, trying to weigh their soul? Or have they put, they hook up all kinds of electrodes to see if they could figure out what the soul is and how it works. And of course they come up with nothing. Because our perception, we don't even know what it is. But we all know we have one. 
because we're different than all of the rest of creation. We know we're different. So how can we even have an effect on the thing that can't be measured or seen or understood? But the Lord does. And he looks at the paralytic man. He doesn't heal him. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. But because the Pharisees, I want to remind you, they're there to represent God, to teach his word, to enforce his rules, which are perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. But what does God say about them? They are blind followers of the blind. Wow. We can have pharisaical hearts. We can be Pharisees. Or we can be like the paralytic man who we assume just wanted to be healed. But the Bible tells us that something far greater is happening, has happened, and will happen. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. And this death doesn't just mean we get put into the grave and we sleep forever or we don't feel anything. The eternal destination of every human soul is an eternal lake of fire or paradise in heaven, the king for eternity. And everything else is secondary. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the Lord came into the world. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is important, so important, because you sitting here today, I know the majority of you, and if I said, oh, the Lord wants to heal your back pain, three-quarters of you are going to be like, oh, are you talking about me? Because you're going through some kind of physical infirmity. You have a sickness. You, you're getting older, and I don't care if you're 12 or 82. You have a psychological issue or depression, or you have... Um, relationship problem or a financial problem there's things that are happening to you right now and you may look up at the lord and be like lord can't you just fix this can't you just heal this can't you just change this you can do anything why won't you and he looks at you the same way as the paralytic and he says son daughter your sins are forgiven you what what else do you need and even if he were to grant us those things then what? Then what? I mean, let's go to the secondary issue. You know, uh, no hands, rhetorical question. How many of you have prayed to win the lottery? Oh, Lord, if you, just, if you would just let me win that. And then what? And then what? No, but in Romans 6.23, what does it say? The gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he comes to us and we say, Lord, why don't you heal me? Why don't you fix me? Why don't you touch me? Why don't you fix this relationship issue or bring my son back or my daughter back or give me more money or heal me or do this? And he has given us the free gift of eternal life. But remember earlier in the sermon, we're to be like the Lord. We're to be going out and sharing the gospel. It's far greater to do that than it is to go around healing people. Now, I'm just as greedy as the rest of you. I would love for the Lord to give me the gift of healing. Now, that's a gift that's been listed in Scripture. We don't see it very often right now, but that doesn't mean that it's ceased. I'm going to give you a biblical example. The office of a prophet was still in existence from Malachi to Matthew but there was 400 years of silence. 
the Lord can raise and lower up these gifts at any time He pleases. But the greatest prophet, of course, was John the Baptist by Jesus' own lips that came later. And so just because we don't see this office or gift of healing today doesn't mean that it's no longer to be used, but we just don't see it very often. That's a side note for you theologians out there. But let's say the Lord gives me the gift of healing. And anybody who's sick and comes up, I'm going to pray with them in the name of Jesus, and they're going to be healed. Oh, this is fabulous. They're going to invite me down to the hospital. Let's go heal those people in there too. But what's going to happen? Well, number one, if you're like me, you're an egotistical, arrogant jerk, filthy sinner, all of you. And suddenly people are going to know your name, and that's all they're going to know. Is Mrs. Smith coming? Is John coming? Oh, he's coming. They're going to be the title of all the books and all the talk shows and in all the hospitals and then the biggest churches are going to want to see you. And it's all going to be about you. You, 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 me, 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 me. And who's going to get the glory in that? And then what's going to happen? All those people that get healed, they've still got the same eternal destination apart from Christ. They're still going to have the same problem next week. Something else will come back. But we have been given something far greater than that, the message, the gospel, because it is not us that does the healing. It's not us that does anything through prayer. It's not us that can accomplish or do anything apart from him. It's he. He does the work. He saves us. We have been given the greater thing. In Titus 3.5, it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And this work is far greater than any amount of healing that we can do. Again, it could be poverty. It could be emotional. It could be spiritual. It could be physical. It could be mental healing. It could be your soul being cleansed. It could be a financial issue over and over and over again. We look to God and we say, why don't you fix this? Why don't you touch me? Why don't you heal me? You've healed everybody else. And he says, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I want to go back to the mundane thing here. All that Jesus has done is jumped into a boat, gone to someone's house, and has talked to them with words until he says, rise up and walk. What did it say in verse 6? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. All of his healing that he does, all of his miracles are simply to show everyone around that when he says, if you believe in me, you shall not perish but have everlasting life, that you shall not perish and have everlasting life. It's just evidence. It's accomplishing nothing but we, I said in the introduction to this sermon, we have it backwards. We think the gospel is the small, cheap thing. And we think that we need to have an impact on these things. I was down there in Peru. And there is so much poverty there. And sickness and violence. Economic issues, infrastructure issues. And I just wanted to just throw out $100 bills and just fix it all. I just wanted to go to work and just, but for how long? My brother and I, when we were growing up in California, we would go down to the beach with the family. You know, we're just little kids and we're down there by the shore and we're making our sandcastles. We're making our sandcastles 
They're not, they're not pretty. Don't imagine anything good. Lumps of wet dirt, wet sand. But the tide would start to come in. So we're real smart. And so we would dig out a little canal, a little wall, so that when the water came up to the edge, instead of hitting our sandcastle, it would go around it and then would go back out. Oh, we were so smart. We had this down. But you know what happens next. The tide doesn't care. Big wave comes through, just flattens everything. That wave is synonymous with time. It doesn't matter. It's coming in. And it's going to affect us. And the things that we think really matter, the things that we really try to hang on tight to, the things that we're trying to preserve, our health, our finances, our relationship, they're all going to go. But when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you, that is by far the greatest thing. And it's the only thing that we can really share with the world. But the world is like us. Oh, why don't you fix the poverty? Why don't you save all the kids? Why don't you stop all the wars? Why don't you feed everybody? Why don't you take care of all this? Why isn't my marriage fixed? Why don't my kids come back? Oh, God doesn't love me. He's not real. Excuse me? We have the greatest gift, a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ and eternal salvation. Everything else is a bonus. It's a bonus. That and we are so ridiculously rich here, it's insane compared to the rest of the world. And yet we dare go and beg God, Lord, can you give me more money? Lord, can you fix this? We had the, for all the complaints about our healthcare system, we have one and you can go to it. So many can't. And we, we dare go to the Lord and say, Lord, oh, could you just heal me? Could you just fix me? But what is the proof of God's love for us? That he gave his only begotten son. Now, I, I told you earlier that Jesus has been showing us that he had power over healing, he had power over creation, but now, most importantly, in the smallest, most mundane things, he's showing us that he has power over souls, over our eternal destination, that he is who he says he is. What did verse 6 say? He healed the man just to show that he has power on earth to forgive sins. But then we are like those Pharisees, aren't we? Oh, he's a blasphemer. Oh, he's not doing things the way we want to do. Remember, they represent the religious institution. The word Pharisee means separated once. And they're trying to drive out all the sinners. They're trying to drive out all the broken ones. We're going to see that come back around here in a little bit. But before we do that, I want to focus a little bit more on the small things. You see, in verse 9, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Excuse me? That's like a tweet. One verse. This man's entire life has radically changed in a completely new direction. Let's build some background here. This man is a traitor to the entire Israeli nation. He is in cahoots with an occupying force. He is stealing their money to pay for that occupation. And anything over and above that is how he makes his living. And so he is most likely rich, wealthy, powerful. And Jesus goes to this traitor and says, follow me. And just as spectacular, the guy goes, yeah, bro, let's roll. I don't think he said it that way. 
but he just locks up shop, quits his job, and follows after him. Again, I want you to see Jesus just walks up, has a conversation, there's a response, and that's it. Listen, I have been to Twin Peaks, now a Bible college. At that time, it was a family camp up there at Lake Arrowhead, the Calvary Chapel. Um, I'll call it a resort. I've been to Green Valley with the youth groups. It is gorgeous. It's a ginormous campus. I've been to the Anaheim Convention Center in a men's conference with 10,000 men in there singing to the Lord, seeing lives changed and people going down there and lives being radically altered. I have been to the Senior Pastors Conference and seen some of the, quote, big names and the big guys and um, amazing experience down there at Marietta Hot Springs. I don't remember a single one of those sermons, maybe one or two of those sermons, but I tell you what I do remember. I remember conversations that I had on the side. I remember people having, having coffee with them in between. I remember relationships that have been built or things that the Lord spoke to me over those times. I don't remember any of the conference stuff. And so, yeah, if I go to a conference now, I'm going to skip a few sessions, especially if they're boring. But that doesn't mean that the Lord's not speaking to those messages, and it doesn't mean any of the other things. I only know, I know, that the Lord is just as involved in the smaller things. I'll tell you about the men's uh, retreat conference thingy that they have at Lexington. I have more memories of the drive up there with the guys than I do of anything there. And, you know, I know this thing's recorded. I don't really care. But Pastor John, the barbecue's not that good. But the fellowship is. Having those relationships and building those connections, that's what makes it special. And, but that's what we see with the Lord. Remember earlier on in our sermon, as Christians, we're to be followers like Him. He's moving in those conversations. He is doing miracles with small things, jumping in a boat and going somewhere, jumping in a car, having a conversation, picking someone up, having coffee, calling them, sending them that quick text. Hey, you were on my mind. The Lord wanted me to share this verse with you. He's in those things. And all this stuff that's going on right now, Matthew being called, the paralytic being healed, the demoniac a couple weeks ago, they don't happen in the church, they don't happen in the synagogue, they don't happen in the temple. They happen wherever Jesus is, moving with his people. It's the simple things. Just follow him and share the gospel. Now, about those Pharisees, let's read now verses 10 through 13. And it says, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that's Matthew's house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, this is incredible. Jesus is quoting from Hosea 6, 6, where it says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That's what he's quoting there. These separated ones, they are powerful politically. They are uh, looked up to. They are holders of the law along with the scribes. They interpret it. They enforce it. They have great influence. And yet, they are the ones that are sick. They are the ones that are the problem. 
And many times it is people in the church who are supporting religious institutions and thinking that it's the stuff that does anything. And then we try and defend it. And we try and preserve it. That's not what Jesus was about. We want to be a follower of Jesus. So the Pharisees are sick. But I want you to see something else. The tax collectors are sick too. Now they're traitors, at least nationally speaking. They're rich, they're powerful in a different way, but they too are sick, spiritually sick, and in need of a healer. Let's go even deeper. The disciples are completely lost without the Lord, and we see that multiple times. They don't know what he's teaching. They don't understand what he's doing. Didn't we talk about that a couple weeks ago? Step by step, they're completely devoid of all understanding without the Lord. They're sick too. The only one that has anything under control in this entire dinner is Jesus. He's there for all of them. He's there to teach them, to show them, yes, to heal them. But most important of all, he came to the world to save sinners, of which I am one. To have mercy, not sacrifice. To build relationships and to connect his creation back to its creator that has been broken and separated through sin. All of them are completely lost with him, but all of them are trying to cast judgment on him. In the meantime, Jesus knows what will be written in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Nothing there about your finances, your health, your entertainment, how good you feel, if you have joy, if you are... um, doing well (coughs) in the eyes of the world. Nothing in there about your personal self-esteem, about your relationships, about how good you are at anything. He demonstrates his love to you and that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. And so when you look at that paralytic man, he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. He did the greatest thing that could possibly be done that no person can do, only God himself. And he says the same thing to us. What more do we need? Now remember, I started this sermon off the same way that we're going to end it. That we're to follow after him. We can go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it's our world in the mundane things where we go. In the line of the grocery store, with your family members, with your co-workers, with yourself. We preach the gospel to ourselves first and foremost. That we have the power to do nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He told us straight up. But we have him working in us and through us, his spirit that fills us. And we can share the gospel. You know, maybe he heals people, maybe he doesn't. The majority of the time I pray, people come to me and say, oh, can, you know, I'm praying for healing and we request that from the Lord. The answer is no. Or wait. And a lot of times he does it through us naturally. You know, occasionally, miracles, I've seen them but it's rare. But every person who calls upon the Lord every time is saved. The answer is always yes, every time. And it is the far greater work. And it has the power to transform lives. No, it does transform lives. So we need to flip this thing back right to have the proper perspective just the way that Jesus taught us. Because remember, the power of healing the power of these miracles, the power of your well-being and your health or fixing your marriage or fixing your family or fixing these things, that is secondary, secondary fruits of his work in the soul. 
of salvation. And he does these things through the most mundane, small conversations day to day. Don't overlook it. So that conversation that you have with God cleaning the toilets in the church is far more powerful than you realize. A greeter who just happens to notice that someone looks distraught coming in here and reaches out to have a conversation that will be remembered for the rest of their life. They'll never remember this sermon, most likely. Now that doesn't, I'm not negating the power of the word of God. It never returns void. Don't get me wrong. But in my own personal experience, I can remember maybe three sermons. But I remember a lot of relationships empowered by God. And so don't underestimate the small things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We pray that you continue to use us and teach us. I pray that we would grow in you and that through all the things that you do in our lives, Lord, that you would be magnified and glorified because apart from you, we can do nothing. We pray for the work of the soul that only you can do. That you go down into the depths of us and that you would change us and mold us and sculpt us to be the salt and the light in this world. With all the dark things and difficult things that are happening today, Lord, we know that you're still moving and working, saving souls, healing people, and changing lives. And we just pray that we'd be used as a small way as a part of that mission in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are here to pray with you. We'll be up front answering questions. God bless you and have a wonderful week.